evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special edition of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. It is a delight to be with you tonight. Here we are in the second week of Advent. and Can on you this, believe it? I can't believe it. It's really amazing. And it's a reminder to us as parents um, just how quickly time flies. You know, when we had little kids, people would say to us, it goes so quickly. Truly, now that our oldest is 18, our youngest is 11, more many of our listeners would say their kids are married, so even older than our kids. But truly, hang on to the moments, right? That this moment is sacred, this moment is special. Not just hang on to them, but just cherish. Literally, it sounds cheesy. Shower the people you love with your love, Sing James it. Taylor would say. Show them the so way you feel. So the replay of this is Saturdays, so really, it's like Pink Sunday, also known as... Pink Sunday? I have no idea what that means. Gaudete? Gaudete. Gaudete. That's it. But truly, when we watch our videos or we look back at pictures, isn't it true that when we're taking the pictures, when we're recording the video, we don't really think about how sacred, how special, how wonderful it is, whether it's kind of a festive moment of a birthday and you hear some festivity in the background here because we're recording out of our home, so you may hear some live family sounds. But no, when we're capturing those reality moments, we don't think about how awesome or wonderful or special they are, but if your family is like ours, you pull them out a year later, five years later, now, you know, a record of 10 years later, and you see them when they're really little and they're doing fun things that you forgot about and little interactions, it really is a reminder of how sacred it is. I mean, our family loves to get out the old videos and loves to get out the pictures. And uh, so it should be with our faith. So it should be when we are in Mass every Sunday or as much as we can go to Mass. And we hear, if you will, the sacred stories. We should have that sense of, of wonder, that sense of um, connectivity, if you will, to our own history. We're delighted that you're with us here tonight because we have some very uh, special uh, guests, if you will, um, by way of memory, by way of recording, that took place at our uh, 2016 Presents for Christmas event. And overall, Stephanie, what was your experience at the Presents for Christmas at St. John's Jesuit last Thursday? Wonderful meal, wonderful message, wonderful amazement, as the promo posters stated. Um, so any time together as a community gathered in the Lord is awesome. Any time in adoration is beyond awesome to have that opportunity, confession, the whole thing. But I have to say the one thing that stood out for me was the, um, I don't know what the numbers were, 200 maybe around there, something like that that those numbers spanned across mm. the ages, the, the generations, if you will. You had certainly um, the older people, and God bless them, the faithful ones who are just there all the time there and into it back or bedrock backbone of our faith and and then some and so this is not meant to disparage them at all because they are valued and treasured and needed but so often they are the ones who fill the pews 95 percent it's the rare younger person younger family but our experience this year at our um evening at saint john's jesuit was that there were so many teens there there were so many younger families there. There were some college kids there, post-college, young adults. You had just the whole range of ages covered. And that really stood out, that it wasn't one grouping that outnumbered the others, but just the real deal. This is church. This is community. Mm -hmm. This is what is meant to be for us all. 
Right, absolutely. And a couple announcements here for you folks. Um, so we have a brand new website. And I wish we had little drum roll build up to it, but it was uh, it was Sorry. launched very recently. And uh, if you go to massimpact.us, massimpact.us, you're going to see a cleaner, I think, more clear, more engaging site that is really focused on kind of three areas that we are all about: personal, family, and parish discipleship. We've been saying this a lot, and uh, those are not just three. Um, disassociated areas, personal, family, and parish discipleship, but really there's a hierarchy there. And uh, we've been trying to emphasize how important this is, that you know, at the most ground floor level, do we have that relationship with Jesus? Not just a prayer life that's personal, but does it overflow? Are we seeking his grace personally? Are we aware of his love for us? And then that overflows into our marriage and family, that second level. We can't give to our marriage and our family if we ourselves personally are not seeking to be filled by God's grace. And the family and marriage discipleship is really essential to overflow to our parishes and then, of course, into the world. So if you go to our site, massimpact.us, um, if I were to say one thing that we're really hoping to accomplish with Mass Impact and through our Ignite Radio Lives is to get families on board and groups to be talking and praying in their homes. It's the most important way that we receive that great grace of God alive in our conversations. It just brings me back to the continuous request of our dear Bishop Thomas from when he first came up until a day ago, the, just the prayer, the call for prayer for holy families, holy disciples, and holy vocations. And these are so intertwined with what we're about. And so um, keep that in mind too, even those three specific intentions, holy families, holy disciples, holy vocations. And we experience this tremendous chasm in our Catholic faith. And I'm speaking to you faithful, mostly faithful Catholic believers who are listening. Never let me go. Think about that awesome retreat that you went on recently. I lay it all down again. The same Holy Spirit that was present at that powerful event is present to you and me right now. And that same environment, even though it's different, God desires our homes to be that kind of environment. You are my desire. It doesn't just happen. We know it's difficult. We know there's strain sometimes between husbands and wives and among children. We know that kind of it becomes more of a, we become more of a thermometer, right? Reflecting the culture of being engaged in electronic media and kind of getting lost in that world instead of being thermostat, setting that temperature. So we above all want to be encouragement to you. Above all, to know that God is wanting to press in on you. He's wanting to offer his grace. He's wanting your home to be such a dynamic encounter with him in an ongoing way that surpasses Ignite, Crisio, Chirp, Axe, whatever it is. He wants your home to be that kind of place where he is encountered and lived. And the tool to accomplish that one of them, one of many, that we're at the service of is this Live It Guide. So at the new site, massimpact.us, you're going to find it very easy to go there, to click on the Live It Guide for either families or for groups, um, to easily access this information. Set aside that 45 minutes this week 
receive the gift of God's grace. Receive the gift of his presence. In fact, if you're really motivated, imagine this. Imagine if you listening right now joined dozens of others, I'm not going to say hundreds, but dozens of others who we know are saying yes to this, liveitchallenge.eventbrite.com. Liveitchallenge.eventbrite.com. You will be journeying with others to make your homes places of encounter of our Savior, that this Christmas, Christ's Mass, truly would be one of receiving Jesus Christ alive in the stable. And often don't we feel like our lives and our marriages and our families may feel like a stable, praise God, that we receive Jesus into the stable of our lives and experience his transforming love and power. Join us in making that commitment together. Delighted to have you with us here tonight, and uh, with no further ado, we're going to turn to Dan Demite's keynote at this year's Presents for Christmas, um, and then you're going to hear some testimonials from two really awesome young adult people. Uh, first of all, Abby Griffith, and then uh, Robert Kelly. So we're very blessed to have you here on Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, and here we go. So as a child, Christmas was often disappointing for me because from the time I was like three years old to the time I was like 10 years old, I really, really, really wanted a horse. I wanted a real horse, a real present horse, right? And, uh, and so every year we'd go and sit on Santa Claus' lap and I would ask Santa for a horse. And he'd be like, ho, ho, ho like a toy horse. I'd be like, no, Santa, I want a real horse. And then I would write Santa's letters and tell him I wanted a real horse. And, and every Christmas, I, but my parents would remind me, Dan, you live in the city. You can't get a real horse in the city. Santa can't bring you a real horse in the middle of a suburban neighborhood because there's no place for the horse to live. And I like, I would literally brainstorm year after year ideas on how we could manage the, the, the amount of poop that a horse would have so that we could keep the horse in our backyard. And, um, and so every year, Christmas Day would come and I'd be filled with so much hope, like this year, Santa's gonna come through. This year, I'm getting the real horse. And I'd run downstairs and I'd run right past the tree and I'd run outside, like in my pajamas, and run around the entire house hoping to see the real horse, right? And, uh, and lo and behold, do you think I ever got my horse? No, no right, never, never got the horse. And, um, and, and I got a lot of fake horses, like every Christmas I'd get like this like fake like pony and it would be like a Barbie pony and I'd be like, Santa, I don't want to play with Barbie ponies, right? Like I wanted a real stinking horse. And just to give you an idea of how much I loved horses as a child, I literally like told everyone that I met that I wanted to marry a horse. Like that was like, I, I was like, I love horses so much, I want to marry a horse. And like, because I knew you married what you loved. And so I thought I could marry a horse. And um, which is, that's a whole nother talk, right? And, uh, but, uh, but ultimately, of course, my heart desired something that uh, was too big for Santa to ever provide for me, right? 
My heart was too, desired something that was too big for uh, my parents to ever provide for me. And a lot of times that's exactly how our life is, right? That we desire in our human heart something that is simply just too large for, for the world to provide. And we desire something in, our, in the depths of our heart that is too large for any person in this world to provide. And so it isn't ultimately real presence that we want, but it's real presence that we want, right? And, and, and this, this night is called Presence for Christmas with uh, a play on words, right? Instead of receiving presents, it's about presence. And whose presence are we in? It's the presence of Jesus, right? And uh, Christmas is ultimately about discovering the presence of the Lord and His presence coming with us. But I want to share just um, a little bit about how powerful the presence of God can be, right? The Moses in the uh, Old Testament, he was the only one who had access to the presence of God. Like the presence of God was was so special and so powerful. It was so deep and profound. And, and, uh, And Moses had access to this, right? And we would read in the Old Testament how Moses would go up on Mount Sinai and he would enter into the presence of God in this massive cloud, this huge smoke cloud would cover Mount Sinai and the whole base of the mountain became uh, this major cloud that represented the presence of God on the mountain. And Moses was there in his presence. And while Moses was in his presence, when Moses came down, he was transformed. It says, scripture says that his face was literally shining. His face was shining. It was glowing with what scripture calls a radiant light. Right, that when Moses entered the presence of God, he was transformed. And uh, all of the people, I just wonder what it was like, like being an Israelite at that time, right? Like, like Moses had access to the presence of God, but they didn't. Right, that it was something like, wow, like how special is he? And how honored is he that he has access to this profound presence, this mysterious, powerful presence. And then... God gives him the presence, his own divine presence, through these tablets, the Ten Commandments, right? And uh, these, these, these tablets are placed in a tent. And, um, and Moses is the only one who's allowed to go into this tent. And this is what it says. It says, um, anyone who wished to consult the Lord would go to this meeting tent outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out of the tent, the people would rise and stand at the entrance of their own tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses entered the tent, the column of cloud would come down and stand at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. On seeing the column of cloud stand at the entrance of the tent, all of the people would rise and worship at the entrance of their own tents. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one man speaks to another. Wow, Moses heard the Lord's voice as you hear my voice, right? And Moses saw the Lord's face as you see my face, right? The, the, Moses had the ability to speak to the Lord face to face, to be in God's presence. And everyone would just stand and watch as Moses got to be in the presence of God. And they just wanted it for themselves. And then Christmas Day came, right? That that throughout human history, uh, 
People had this eager longing to discover the presence of God, but they couldn't get there. Because even after Moses died and they built the temple, only the high priest could enter into the presence of God in the temple. And there was this veil, and the veil separated the part of the temple that you and I could enter and the Holy of Holies, the part where the, the high priest could enter. So the only person who had access to the presence of God was the high priest. And this veil separated us. There was this veil that separated you and I from God. But then Christmas Day comes, and God's presence comes to earth for all of us to encounter. Right? I love, I love the incarnation. I think the incarnation is, is just absolute proof of God's love for man because the artist becomes the art. The creator of heaven and earth takes on a human created body. Right? The, 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 he who had no beginning and end, he takes on a beginning and an end. The God becomes man. And we're in the Christmas season and you're going to start buying Christmas cards and receiving Christmas cards. And I always hate Christmas cards um, because they always look so pretty. Right? You get this manger scene and it's this beautiful organized, clean manger scene, and everything is glowing with light and gold. And, and in all reality, that wasn't, that wasn't the first Christmas. That God became man in a dirty, muddy cave. Right? That God enters into our filth. He enters into our, our dirt. He's born in the midst of mud and manure. He's born in the midst of darkness and filth. And it's such a beautiful testimony of, of who Jesus is, right? Because when God decides to make his presence permanent in this world, he isn't born in a palace, but instead he's born in a wet cave, surrounded by manure and filth. And he says, I love you so much that I haven't come just for the good. I haven't come for the perfect. I've come to enter into the darkness. I've come to enter into the filth of life, the mess of your life, right? That... That Christmas isn't about making our houses perfect for Jesus. It's about letting Jesus into our imperfect hearts. That my heart is imperfect, and I strive and I strive to do good for God, but ultimately I'll never be good enough for God. But he still, it pleases him that my heart would be his manger. That even in the midst of my filth, my dirt, and your filth, and your dirt, and the mess of our lives, and, and, and honestly the mess of our families, the God still says, I want to make my dwelling place there. I want to make that which is unclean, I want to make it clean. That which is filthy, I want to purify it. Jesus loves us so much that he wants to purify us. He wants to heal us. And the divine presence of God enters this world. And so whenever we're, you know, whenever we're, we're, we're realizing Christmas, we're realizing this profound time in history where the presence of God used to be limited to some, but now it's been available to all. But there's still almost kind of this problem, right? That, that Jesus Christ, he walked the earth, and, and, and God's presence was, was on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and the presence, the divine presence of God would walk down the street, and the divine presence of God would see the sick, and he would heal the sick. He would see the blind, and he would cure the blind. He would see the crippled, and he would, the crippled would rise and walk. He would see the dead, and he would say, arise, and the dead would walk. And, and the divine presence was impacting and changing the world, but still the presence was limited only to where Jesus was. Right? That the power of the presence of God was still somewhat limited. That Jesus was 
was confined to a time and a place. That Jesus existed on this earth 2,000 years ago. And when he was in Jerusalem, he was impacting people in Jerusalem, but not in Samaria. And when he was in Samaria, he was healing people in Samaria, but not in Jerusalem. And so what was God's plan to allow his presence to have access throughout the whole world? His plan was to suffer and to die. And it says that when Jesus Christ died, the foundations, the foundations of the temple shook. And that veil, Scripture says in the Gospel of John, that veil that separated me from the Holy of Holies, it says it ripped in half. Right, So that when Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, when he gave the present or the gift of his own life, the veil that separated me and you from God was torn in half forever. And now we're all able to enter into the Holy of Holies and through the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ and through the gift of the Eucharist, every single one of us have access to God's presence. And, and so tonight we're going to enter into the, the presence of God in adoration, right? We're going to enter into the presence of life, the presence of love, the presence of mercy, the presence of joy, the presence of peace, the presence of hope, the presence of truth, beauty, and goodness. We enter into presence itself tonight in adoration. And every time we go to adoration, it's almost as if we're kneeling at the manger, Right, Because we're, we're literally in the presence of Jesus Christ in, in the same way that Mary and Jesus were in the presence of Jesus on that first Christmas day. And, and that, that powerful divine presence that healed the sick and cured uh, and raised the dead 2,000 years ago, we're in that presence. That presence that Moses stood before when he saw Jesus, God face to face, and he heard his voice like you hear my voice, we're in that presence. We have access to the face of Jesus tonight. We have access to the voice of God tonight. We have access to the power and the healing mystery of God in the Eucharist. Have you ever heard of Benny Hinn? Raise your hand if you've heard of Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn is a really popular, powerful uh, Protestant healer. So he has this worldwide, international healing ministry. And Benny Hinn travels all over the globe having these huge healing conferences. And people, like thousands of people, will come to Benny Hinn's healing conferences. And, and, and he'll pray for healing. And people with cancer are healed. People who are crippled rise and walk. It's incredible how much healing happens through the hands of Benny Hinn. Well, a few weeks ago, Benny Hinn, who was this leading Protestant minister on the global spectrum, he was preaching. And he said something that was crazy. He said, you know what? No matter how powerful my conferences are, there will always be more healings and there will always be more miracles in the Catholic Church than there will ever be in my ministry and that there will ever be in any other Protestant ministry that we will see and we have seen throughout the ages more miracles in the Catholic Church. And then he says, why? Because Catholics believe in the real presence. I'm like, Benny, why aren't you Catholic, right? Like, you're crazy. Join the church. But even this worldwide global Protestant minister who's this leader amongst men, he realized that our faith, and he, he didn't just say that we have the real presence, because I'm not sure if he believes that we actually have the real presence in the Eucharist, or he'd probably be in the Catholic church. But he said that Catholics 
believe in the real presence. And when we believe in the real presence, Jesus can transform us, and Jesus can heal us, and Jesus can radically renew us, right? Do we believe in the presence that Jesus gives us in Christmas? Do we believe in the presence that Jesus gives us in, in adoration? And I, when we go, let's go with a hungry heart. Let's go asking him for something big. You know, I read from Exodus 33 earlier, and this is, um, as, as Moses is speaking face to face with God, God, he, he asked Moses to take his people on a journey. And, and Moses is scared, and he says, God, unless your presence is with us, there's no way we can survive. And this is how God responds. He says, go, for my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest wherever you go. Right? That the God promises us in life that his presence is going to be with us. And I love this Hebrew word for rest. It's a word that means rest, peace, and consolation. Rest, peace, and consolation. Right? That wherever the presence of God is, there is rest, peace, and consolation. But us as Catholics, we actually, we suffer in a world with a lot of unrest and a lot of anxiety, right? Like I'm primarily, my work is in youth ministry. And it was interesting because I started as a youth minister in the year 2004. Um, and over the years, I've seen young people change these last 12 years. And the difference I've seen in young people is that over the last 12 years, middle schoolers and high schoolers have become extremely anxious. There is this overwhelming burden of anxiety that they're plagued with nowadays that they didn't used to have when I first started in ministry. That just in the last 10 or 12 years, this, this, this burden of anxiety and unrest has fallen upon our culture. And it's fallen upon our young people. And why? It's because we live in this, this culture of want and this culture of busyness, where we're busy doing so many things, but so little of great importance, right? And we're, we're busy chasing all of these presents or all of these wants, but we're not actually resting enough in his presence. That God, he promises us we'll have rest, peace, and consolation if his presence goes with us, but we're just running so fast that we've forgotten about his presence. There's been a verse that's been on my heart lately, it's Psalm 23, and a lot of you have probably heard Psalm 23. Um, I'll read it. I used to kind of ignore this Bible verse. I've got this, I, I have this problem in my life where if I knew a scripture verse, I used to say, oh, I've heard that one before, and I'd stop listening to it, right? And, and I've promised the Lord I'm going to stop doing that because if I've heard it before, it's probably because it's an important scripture verse. So you've probably heard this one before, and so you think you're not going to listen to it, and the Lord says, no, I may have something new to share to you tonight about this verse. So it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. In green pastures you let me graze. To safe waters you lead me. You restore my strength. You guide me along the right path for the sake of your name. Even when I walk through the valley of death, I fear no evil for you are by my side. Your rod and staff give me courage. For your presence is by my side, for you are by my side. 
You set a table before me as my enemies watch. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord for years to come. So one of the reasons, there's two reasons I used to write this passage off. Number one, uh, because it talks about the valley of death, this, like, this verse is like used in all kinds of like really weird music, like Megadeth, Notorious B.I.G., um, Grateful Dead. They've all used this scripture. This is like the only scripture verse that these like demonic bands like use in their music, right? Because it talks about the valley of death. But the other reason I've ignored this scripture verse is because um, it, it's often associated with really ugly like house like decorations, right? And you've got like, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. And you just like see it on pillows and you see pictures of like deer drinking from a, a little riverbed with that scripture verse. And so it just seemed a little weak and wimpy to me. But the, the, uh, recently I, I started praying into just that simple verse, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. And it just started to cut me at the heart. Like what if that were actually true? What if there was actually nothing that I wanted? Like, what if my heart was so satisfied and so fulfilled in the presence of God and in, in the Lord who is my shepherd that there was nothing that I wanted? That I could honestly say, I don't want for you, God. I don't need anything but you, God. Right? Like, I don't want the things of this world. And I, my heart is completely content with your presence. I just want you to think for a minute about all the wants in your life. Like, can we actually say that? That the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. Like, when I just think about my house, I immediately start thinking about all of these problems in my house and the things I want to fix or the things I want to upgrade or the things that I want to repair or the things that I want to decorate or the things that, that, that I want, right? We just, you think about your car and you think about the things that, need to, that you want for your car, the repairs you want, that you think about Christmas, young people, and you think about the things you want or the electronics you want or, or the popularity you want. There's all these wants that we're plagued with. And then we hear the scripture, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. And that's just been my prayer lately, that I, that I would actually in my life want nothing, want for nothing. There's another translation of the same verse that says, the Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I lack. Right? That if I believe that I lack nothing, that my shepherd has provided me with everything that I need, then there's no need for me to want. Right? If I believe that God is my provider and that God gives me all that I need in life, that there's nothing I should want because I lack nothing. That God is so good and his presence is here. Love is here. Joy is here. Peace is here. And his presence goes with me. And so as I've been praying through this in my own life, I've identified three different areas of want that I'm working on this Advent. And these are three areas of want that I think you can work on this Advent. And the first area of want is, is probably the most noticeable one. It's this area of material want, right? That we want for a lot of things. And I think a lot of times we give young people <clears throat> the burden of being like, uh, of thinking that they're, they're too materialistic. 
But as I've become an adult, I have found that myself and a, and a lot of other adults are very, very tempted by materialism. Right? So whether or not we're young or old, the treasures of this world are tempting. And we go through a mall, and it's almost like we're just sick, right? You just walk through a store, and, and all you do is see things, and your heart is just filled with want and want and want. The Lord wants to take that from us. The Lord wants to satisfy our hearts so much that we just are satisfied with what we have, that we're content and we don't need things, that we don't need more electronics, we don't need more possessions, we don't need to seek a bigger house, a nicer car, or any material possession to, to satisfy us, but we just find comfort and joy in God, right? That we don't need these material possessions. The Lord is radical, right? He wants to replace our material want with a heart that desires to give. This is what Mother Teresa says. It's so beautiful. She says, My sisters and I, we have very little, so we have nothing to be preoccupied with. The more you have, the more you are occupied, and the less you are able to give. But the less you have, the more free you are to give. As I've grown up and as I've bought a house and as I've gotten more possessions, I've realized that my possessions actually lay hold of me. They actually possess me. Because now that I own a house, I have to care for that house. And now that I, that I own a yard, I have to cut the grass, right? There's, the more we have, the more we're preoccupied. I'm not saying that we should be homeless, but what I'm saying is the more we have, the more we're preoccupied. And the less we have, the more we're free to give. You see, the more we have material wants and the more we satisfy those wants, the less we're able to be Christian. God wants us to be able to give with a generous heart. And so he wants to take away this material want so that we replace this want with gift. John the Baptist, he says something so profound. And I would love for you to try to implement it in your family this Advent season. He says, if you have two cloaks, give one away. If you have two cloaks, give one away. That's a Christian principle. Do we, do we live that principle in America? Do we live that principle in our church? If we have two cloaks, give one away. You don't need it, right? You don't need it. Just live with, with what we need so that others can live with what they need and have what they need. The second area of want that we have, I think, is relational wants. That so many of us want something in a relationship. We, we often, we want something out of a person, right? We, we just, if only my spouse would do this, if only my, my, my children would do this, if only my parents would do this, if only this person had this or this person would do this, if only this relate, if only I was more popular, if only I was more accepted, if only I was more loved, if only I had that, that boy or that girl, if only I had that relationship. We have these, these wants in our relationships and, and they become these burdens that we carry around. And God wants to free us from those and he wants us to know that, that we can just trust in him. The Lord is our shepherd, that he's, he's the Lord over all of our relationships. He wants to Lord over the relationships in our life. And, and we even... We want in, in our relationship with ourself, right? We're, 
We just, if only I was different, if I, if I looked different or act, could act different, if I could speak different or if I was more likable and more lovable. Or we want in our relationship with God where we're like, God, I want you to fill me with more feelings. Like if only there was more emotional consolation. If only you were able to give me this right here and right now. If only you were able to do this for me. God wants to free us from those wants and we just want to go before him. And instead of wanting things from others or wanting things from God, he just wants us to, to have his presence be enough. Right? That his presence is enough. That he doesn't have to do anything for me because he's already done it all for me. His presence is enough. And, and, and he's there in the Eucharist and he says, I, I just want you to be with me. Not to want anything from me or to expect anything from me, but my presence is enough. And then the last area of want that I think the Lord wants to refine in us this Advent season is the wants we have in our future. Right? And um, I love dreaming. Dreams are critical, right? Goals and dreams, especially for us, like the young people here, like dream big, right? But we want our dreams to ultimately be surrendered to the will of God. And we dream in such a way that we dream for the things that God is going to un unveil in our lives. But so many of us, we just, we want for, for, for the future. We want for that promotion, or we want for that raise, or we want for that, that change, or we want for, for the future to come about. We're, we're just longing for something in the future. And, 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 and God says, my presence is in the present. And you can't find my presence in the future because presence is only available in the present. And so I think God wants us to surrender our futures and just to trust in him, right? And to allow ourselves to fall into his hands and to say, Lord, I'm going to be grateful right now. I'm going to, I'm going to live in the now and I'm going to just be grateful for the now. That, that the future will take care of itself, but right now you are giving me so many gifts. My family is, is, is an absolute radical gift right now. I don't have to worry about the future. My education is an absolute gift right now. The place you have me in my work or in my life is a gift right now. And God wants to, to transform this part, this want inside of us for the future. He just wants to change it and transform it into a gratefulness for the now. To discover the power of his presence here in the present. And so I've been asking Jesus, Lord, because I'm trying, right? I'm trying to live a life that isn't focused on once. And I've been asking him, Lord, how do I get there? Like, how could I possibly live a life where I can wake up every day and, I, and, and honestly say, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. And it, he's just been saying, Dan... If your heart still wants for so many things, maybe I'm not yet your shepherd. Maybe you're leading yourself as opposed to allowing me to lead you. I love that, that one word. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a possess my, my is a possessive pronoun. So the psalm is actually saying, I, in a sense, can possess God, right? That the Lord can be my shepherd. He can be my possession. 
And in, in, in this Advent season, I just want our prayer, and tonight I want our prayer to be that God, you would be the possession of my heart. And that when, when the four-year-old asks us, what is the best present you've ever gotten? We could say, Jesus. And we could say, yeah, it is. And Jesus is the possession of my heart, and he's the only possession of my heart. And because he possesses my heart so much, he possesses every moment of my day and every ounce of my strength and my mind, right? That God wants to possess us and us to be possessed by God. What does a sheep do? John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. So just like Moses was able to see God face to face and hear the voice of the Lord like you hear my voice, if God is our shepherd, we see him face to face and we hear him. And every day we walk in his presence and his presence accompanying us. And as we walk through the valley of death, we find peace and rest and consolation. Go, as he says to Moses, because my presence will be with you and my presence will give you rest. So we're just going to close in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, here and now, in this cafeteria, with microphone systems that sometimes work and sometimes don't, and with kids that run around and laugh and, and play. Right here we can enter into your presence, God. You are here with us. And we just pray, Lord, that in a new way this season, and in a new way today, you would take possession of our hearts. God, I want so bad that we would want for nothing that we would be totally and completely satisfied in you, through you, and with you. Satiate us, Lord. Satisfy our every want, our every desire. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. In green pastures, Lord, you let me graze. To safe waters, you lead me. You restore my strength. You guide me along the right path for the sake of your name. And even though I walk through the valley of death, I fear no evil for you are by my side. Your rod and staff give me courage. You set a table before me as my enemies watch. You anoint my head with oil and my cup, my cup overflows. Lord, help us to know that our cup overflows right here, right now, our life overflows. You have given us so much, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Let's see this overflowing gift of all that you have given us. Only goodness and love will pursue me all the days of my life. Lord, let me know the goodness and love that pursues me. Let me see the goodness and love that pursues me. And Lord, I will dwell in the house of the Lord for years to come. Jesus, make our hearts hungry for heaven where we want nothing in this passing world because we are created with hearts that weren't created for this world, but hearts that were created for your divine presence in heaven. So bring us, Lord, into your presence, into your heavenly presence, into your, your heavenly presence here and now. 
Give us the grace to know your presence, to hunger for your presence, to rest and dwell in your presence all the days of our lives. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Mr. Levering was saying earlier about like just how it's so great to join together in this community and to be here present um, with each other as we journey into the heart of Christmas, like what this is about, just journeying towards the, um, just this great mystery of God coming down to earth. Um, and it's great to do that as a community and just to have that power. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them is what Jesus said. And that's so true, and there's a lot more than two or three of us, which is so awesome. So um, in my life, just the importance of community, I know that especially with teenagers, one of the biggest struggles is finding a community, finding a solid community where faith is something that's shared and talked about, and people can grow as, as children of God and don't have to put on masks and don't have to hide behind different things, that they can just be who they are. and attuned to the will of God in that way and just praise God through their lives and through who they are. Abide with me fast falls the with a few others discovered that need and so we started this community and um, we call it lit group lit stands for live it uh, it being image trinity so it's all about what is the trinity it's three persons pouring themselves out for the good of another it's outpouring of love so it's all about living that love with each other and in our lives um, so we started this group if any teens are interested in joining it um, there's gonna be I think some sort of registration thing or you can just come talk to me um, and I want to introduce two fellow leaders from this group Abby Griffith and Robert Kelly, if you guys could stand up and come up here. Yeah. Yeah, okay. um, these guys are so awesome and I'm so blessed by them. They've been a part of this group basically from the beginning and just, um, I've seen so much growth in them and just God is definitely working in their lives. And so they're gonna just share how he's been working. Um, so before we do that though, we're just gonna pray over them. So if everyone could just extend an arm out towards them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit. Lord God, we just ask that you 
fall down upon Abby and Robert, that you would just fill them with your grace and your power and your spirit and blessing, that you would give them the words to say, that you would calm any nerves and just fill them with a sense of your peace. We renounce all doubt and all fear in your holy name and just ask that their mouths may be open to the words that you want to proclaim through them, that they may just empty themselves and that it may be you speaking. We pray for all of us here that you would just anoint our ears and our hearts and our minds that the words you have to give us may bear fruit, that they may grow in our hearts. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So I want to talk to you guys a little bit about um, just sort of how I came to be sort of a really crazy, outspoken person uh, when it comes to my faith. So uh, I'm what's known as a cradle Catholic, meaning I was born and raised Catholic, been that way my whole life. God has just sort of always been there. Um, and I just sort of, but growing up, even though I had my faith super close to me, um, I was never told about having a personal relationship with God. I was just sort of going through the motions my whole life, you know, saying a few prayers here and there uh, before bed, but they were always recited. They weren't coming from my heart. And um, I, lived, I lived that way up until my 13th year of life. Um, the summer before my freshman year, I attended a retreat, uh, a Steubenville retreat. Lord, you lead me with a cloud of day. The glow of a burning flame And everywhere I go I see you Everywhere I go I see you And everywhere I go I see you Everywhere I go I see you I saw all these people around me who were just on fire for God and I was really confused because I was like why are these people standing up praising, being super weird, raising their hands and just singing as loud as they can so confusing to me, but for some reason so appealing. And um, we had praise and worship the first night I was there. It was a three-day retreat. And I was like, all right, second day, that's when we have our big adoration. And I was like, all right, how do I become one of these people? This is my goal of this retreat, is to try and be like these people. So the second night um, came adoration time. And I just see these people around me just sort of enter in and close their eyes and just become different people. And I was like, all right, I can do that. Close my eyes, just sort of try and enter in. But for some reason, I couldn't because I had never had a personal prayer to God coming straight from my heart. So I opened my eyes, kind of upset, um, look around and I see people are standing. And I was like, oh, don't want to do that. That's kind of weird. I don't want to be one of the few people who are standing and raising their hands. But for some reason, something in me said, do it. So I stood up and I was like, all right, this is really weird. I'm one of 50 people standing in a room of like 200 people. Um, so I just sort of bowed my head, folded my hands and closed my eyes. And something in me just sort of started stirring. And I was like, all right, something's happening. Let's try and do this a little bit more. So I opened my hands, which is the first time that I've ever done that in prayer. And for some reason, as I started letting go of my physical self, I started being able to let go mentally and spiritually. And eventually, 
I was just standing there singing at the top of my lungs, which is one of my worst fears of hearing people sing, or hearing people hearing me sing. Um, but for some reason I was doing it. I was entering deeper into prayer. My invitation to you is just to try opening your hands. Maybe try a different form, a different posture, because once you start to get over um, your fear of how people perceive you, it really just allows you to enter in more deeply, which is something that I can't stress enough, which is really, um, it's kind of weird when you hear somebody talking about it and you haven't experienced it, but just try opening your hands. That's the easiest thing you can do, is just to open your hands as, a as opposed to folding them. And then slowly as you go throughout the night, if you feel so called, you know, just stand, praise, however you feel fitting um, when we have uh, Jesus exposed. So that's my challenge to you, is just to sort of let go and not be afraid of what people think. So as Joseph mentioned, I'm Robert Kelly. I'm a junior here at St. John's. And uh, I just wanted to share a little experience that I had a couple days ago in adoration. So I was sitting in adoration. I usually have a routine that I go through. Um, and so I usually start out with like some intentions that I just bring in front of the Lord. You know, different family members, friends, whatever I need to bring in front of them. And, one of the things that I was thinking about is, what am I going to say standing up here tonight? What am I going to talk about? Like, give me clarity of thought, Lord. Just help me speak through me. And so I kind of went on to the next thing that I usually do. I just sat in front of the Lord, and I, or I knelt in front of the Lord, and I just said, Lord, just come into me and set this fire in my soul. So I've always heard of people, ever since I got involved in my faith, people talking about a sort of fire that they have felt like a passion that they have felt from the Lord. And I've always thought, you know, that's so cool. Like, I want to just claim that. And so ever since then, I've always prayed, like, Lord, just come into me, bring this fire in my, in my soul, and just give me this passion. And so I was through my intentions, and I was through that. And the next thing I do is I sit in front of the Lord, and I say, Lord, just, I'm going to be silent. I'm going to sit in front of you here, and just say what you need to say to me. Just. Let me be open to what you have to say. And what he said is, basically he said, Robert, you, every single time you come in front of me, you ask for this fire to be set in your soul. And every single time I can see this desire in you. And every single time I've given it to you, but you have yet to employ it. You have yet to go out and test this. I always just assume if I don't have this feeling of the Lord like bestowing this gift upon me, I might not have it, right? But faith isn't about feeling, faith is about faith. So I just heard the Lord saying, I'm commissioning you now. There's no more saying, I'm going to do this tomorrow. I hope I receive this gift next week. It's about going and doing it. So I'm commissioning you. Go out and set the world on fire. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe Your holy presence Living in me And that's kind of a challenge that I want to give to each and every one of you tonight is at some point there's a decision point that we reach in our lives, right? There's no such thing as a lukewarm Catholic. You have to have this passion. You have to be all in or you sit on the sidelines and watch. You can't just say that I'll do it tomorrow or 
I'll just wait for the Lord to give me some sort of sign, right? It takes faith. Be a Catholic, it takes faith, it takes this passion. So you have to make a decision at some point. meditating on this and just I also like to meditate on Christ's passion just as a way to kind of understand his encounter with us here and so here's something I just wrote last night while I was meditating now is the decision point you have the choice between two you can choose to embrace my mission or be the one who knew but never became new you know the latter path far too well short-lived pleasure followed by virtual hell now this is not solely you you affect. No, those you affect may be too many to fathom. So before you make your decision, I ask that you reflect on the pain of your friends and family as you fall down that chasm and the hypocrisy they'll see when before me you genuflect, paying your pseudo respect, continuing to reject, living in a state of regret as you neglect to accept that I've come to set you free. Now if that's not enough, recall that distant being of three. I ask that you please, at least think of me. The world may have forgotten, but you remember deep down that I was beaten and scourged and adorned with a crown. And if that's not enough, remember my walk. Struggling and bloody, a stranger stopped to gawk. Recall the end of my death march, mouth fully parched. After my agony was ended, they drove a lance through my heart. As blood and water flowed, I was thinking of you. All this you know, and these facts you can't skew. I suffered for you and died for your sin. It's far from unclear, which is the right decision. Thank you. I'm lost